0: You're listening to Talking Creative, the podcast that helps voice directors, creatives, and production companies to make the most of their voice actors so they can create amazing content that everyone wants to hear. I'm Samantha Poffin, voice actor and director, and I know that directing voices can feel daunting and complicated. Where do I start? Should I just win it? What if I say the wrong thing? I want to help you make sense of all that. If you make videos, ads, audiobooks, or anything with a voiceover, then this is the podcast for you. Ready to start talking creative? Then let's get started. Hello and welcome to Talking Creative, the podcast all about the art of voiceover directing. Now, I have got something a little bit special for you this week. I know I always say that, but this is a particularly interesting interview. In the UK, it has been a bit of a summer of sport. We've lived through the football, the tennis, the motor racing, and loads of other things. And now the whole world is poised for the Tokyo Olympics that start today, I think. Well, this got me thinking about all of the thousands of sports voices that have been listened to and will be being heard over the next few weeks. Different languages and backgrounds and countries, all creating the drama that is the Olympic Games. Live sporting events need highly skilled voices to add excitement, atmosphere and colour, and crucially, To tell the audience and the listeners the story of what's happening in the moment. So, how do you, as a director, work with live voices? What do you need to think about when you're booking them? And what happens on the day? What particular skills do they need to bring with them into the arena? Whether they're behind the scenes observing, involved in the moment, or reflecting on the action. To get us started, I think. We need an MC. <laughs> and today I am delighted to bring you an interview I had yesterday with a really good friend of mine. She's a voice actor, but she's also the only female licensed boxing MC in the UK. And this is what Verity Panther and I chatted about. Hello, Verity.
1: Hi, Sam. Thanks for having me on your show today. It's <laughs> oh, really nice to speak to you.
0: So you were one of the first people I ever met when I went freelance as a voice actor because we met at a voiceover social when I didn't, yeah, I didn't know anyone. <laughs> at the bar. Exactly, <laughs> at the bar. And that's kind of where we've, you know, lived out our relationship, at a bar. <laughs> so can you tell um, us a little bit about yourself and how you became a female boxing MC.
1: Ah, well, that's um a fairly interesting story. I work, as you know, as a voiceover actor and had been doing it for a, a couple of years and decided that to stand out, I needed to make myself a little bit different. I enjoy boxing very much. And I live, um, when I lived in London, just down the road from York Hall, and I'd go and watch a boxing on several occasions with my husband and friends, and we had a laugh. And one night we were... Going there to listen to to watch um, a specific fight with a friend of ours, and uh, we couldn't hear the MC or understand anything he was announcing. And obviously, after a couple of beers, I was going, "Yes, I could do that. I'm a voiceover. I could do better." And they were all going, "Yes, go and give it a go." So I went to speak to the front desk to the, and f- spoke to the promoter Steve Goodwin. Who told me that actually I couldn't just get into the ring and start announcing? What I needed to do was to get a British Boxing Control, uh, license. So I had to be a licensed to 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 get in the ring, and there started journey because I thought, oh, okay. So I rang them up and they said, well, you need to book in for an interview. So I thought, okay. So if I, I duly went off to my interview, which was um. A board of men. So I went in. It was a bit intimidating because you're, you know, four or five <laughs> men sitting behind a desk, and I go, "Yes, please, I'd like my MC license." <laughs> and uh, and basically, I didn't get very far because I thought I could go in. I knew what I was going to say announce some boxers, but it was a lot more than that. You had to know the rule book, the rules, the scoring system, and every single ins and out of the boxing of the boxing book. Um, but they said you're great. Come back and do it again in a month and get it. So I went away and got a mentor, um, Brett Freeman, and uh, went and shadowed him at a lot of the shows he was doing in York Hall at the time. Learned the rule book inside out, learned the scoring system, the weight divisions and everything else I needed to know. And then I went back and got my license. And it was only then I realized um, that I was the only woman in the country to have a license. They didn't have any other women with that license at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then once I'd got it, I was really excited. I'd done it. But then the next step, I had to go and find some work and get in the ring in front of everyone. And I hadn't quite thought that bit through. I was yeah, 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 I'll go and get my license and do this. But actually, I'm quite quite shy in front of people. I find it quite nerve-wracking to stand up in front of a crowd of a thousand people and start talking on a microphone. It was rather daunting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and I remember my first show very well. I went to stand in the middle of the ring in Lowestoff. They were, you know, it's a sports hall. It was absolutely packed. They had smoke machines and flashing lights and... Everybody was chatting and I had to stand in the ring and try and hush the crowd and announce the boxers. Um, yeah, the adrenaline after that one. I don't think I went to bed that night because I was so psyched after doing it.
0: So I know, well, I, I've actually seen you um, in the ring. I've seen you actually do your MCing, and it's quite incredible seeing you because as the only woman really in that, literally in that arena, it must be so intimidating. I was so impressed when you got up in front of this massive,
1: crowd. Yeah it's interesting you say that because I didn't feel that I was a woman and it was intimidating I just felt I was very much out of my comfort zone and it's not something Um, I've done before. It was I think a lot of it sort of stemmed from the fact that as a voice uh, voiceover, you're in a little booth talking to a microphone yep. and that's it. And maybe somebody dials in and you get to see a face on a screen or you're in the studio and people are looking at you, but you're not in front of a massive crowd and having to control them. And I hadn't really sort of factored that in. And that was intimidating. And at your call, When you stand in York Hall in the middle and there are a thousand people packed in there, there's a balcony that comes over and it feels like you could reach the guys on the balcony when they're leaning over and shouting. Well, the guys and the girls, just the, the crowd in general. Um... But it was fantastic as well. I really enjoyed it. And it's just, I feel really comfortable there now. But it's interesting, the first one sticks in my mind. <laughs> um, but the more I do, the easier it gets. And I'm just quite confident with what I'm doing. And it's all about preparation as well. Yeah,
0: no, I I, I bet. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute, actually. But I, what I was really interested in is, so although you are live in front of an audience... the same sort of skills that you bring to it are relevant for behind-the-scenes voiceovers as well, because presumably being a live voice is very different from being a scripted, non-live voice. Um, What sort of skills do you think those kind of voice artists, people like you, who are commentating live on sports, what kind of skills do you think they need?
1: Uh, Well, there are some similarities from working in a booth. For example, you do your preparation, you do your research. You don't want to be standing in the ring announcing somebody's name wrong. That would be rather embarrassing. Um, But if you're a live announcer, things are thrown at you that you're not aware of. Um, It might be a sudden announcement. The promoter might want you to um, talk a bit more about the sponsorship of the evening, it might be um, one of the boxes has been knocked out. So it's keeping the guests informed during that period of time as to what was happening. Um, or it might be a fight breaking out and you have to kind of calm, <laughs> calm the crowd down. So I think you need to be a very calm person, really prepared, and you've got to be able to think on your feet. Um, and you have to be very thoughtful about what you say. Um, in front of people, you um, and think about what you're about to say and and how, to, how the crowd might react to what you're saying. Yes, and
0: which is exactly the same as then an, an audience listening, an audience sort of back home, yeah. exactly the same sort of thing. So, yeah, so, you, so not only have you got to be prepared and, and think on your feet and in the moment, you've also got to really know your sport, haven't you?
1: Uh, yes, you have, because the rule book says that if I announce a score or a final result, that's it. If the boxers and I get out of the ring, that's the end, it, you know, that's what the result is. So if I announce it wrong... That's what sticks. Yeah. So I have to be very careful to, you know, check and double check. So I liaise a lot with the team around me on the night. I mean, that's a big part of, of what I do, to know exactly what is going on and, and and what the scorecards are and what the ref's doing and what the timekeeper's doing. And
0: also know, knowing how to react to, you know, what's happening in front of your eyes, knowing how that sport is likely to pan out.
1: Yes, absolutely. You've got to, I think... I think if you're going to be involved in a sport, you need to understand the sport and know about it. Um, I'm not, I, I never boxed, sadly. I, I kind of wish I had actually grown up boxing, but I didn't. So I was sort of newer into the boxing family and welcomed in. But um, yes, I've tried to find out everything I can about boxing, read about it, watch a lot of fights and get involved. But I think that's like anything you do in life. If you're going to do it, get involved, get stuck in and find out as much as you can.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And on the day, presumably you have a rehearsal. How does a typical day work for you?
1: Uh, I don't I don't have a rehearsal. So the night before I'll go onto a website called BoxRec to find out all the statistics on the boxes I'm going to announce because I'm responsible for getting that right and reading it out correctly. Um, but on the day, I'll speak to the promoter and see if there's any special sponsorship requirements for, for that day. I'll speak to the whip to get the running order of the evening. Um, and he also tells me whether or not the boxes are ready to come out. I'll speak to the British Boxing Board of Control officials Um, They do all the weigh-ins and you get the short colour from them. I mean, this is where being a woman stands out a little bit because the male MCs will wander around the dressing rooms and go and chat to the boxers themselves in their dressing rooms and find out what colour shorts they're wearing. But I sadly can't do that. Not that i would being appropriate. Yeah. (laughs) but then I'm obviously liaising with the referees and judges on scorecards and winners. Um, the timekeeper, if somebody gets knocked out in in the ring um, and there's a count out, I need to know exactly how many minutes and seconds into which round that was. So I'll speak to the timekeeper book as I announce it. Um, so there's a lot going on on the night and I will get there probably at lunchtime for an evening, for an evening card. I'll get there about lunchtime, yeah.
0: And what have you done beforehand? You as a as a presenter, as a voice, what have you done? Have you Are you warmed up before you get there or do you take space when you get there?
1: Oh, I always do a good warm up in the morning and then I'll warm up again. So I'll warm up and project, but I do um, a lot of practice at home. So I will get my fight cards out and every day just read out a few names or a fight just to keep in the swing of things. Yeah okay so if this were so
0: within all those people that you mentioned that was quite a complex list of people that you need to liaise with actually on the day Um, the whip and the promoter and within that context if you were translating that into a radio show or a TV show who would that be? Would that be the director that would need to be your one point of focus yep the
1: director the sound engineer because i will obviously get in the ring and test the equipment and the mic and make sure there are backup batteries and things like that so sound engineer and i have a good good relationship because they do the music as well and if that's too loud or my mic's not switched up enough i that's happened before i'm in the ring talking and they haven't switched my mic on
0: <laughs> so there's loads to think about actually lots and lots of things that so so the kind of skills that you need, actually, that that somebody would be looking for in somebody like you would be actually quite organised, in fact, and and certainly a huge amount of prep.
1: Yes, I think that helps you. I definitely am organised and I get there in plenty of time to make sure I can double check everything. Because then if I make a mistake or something goes wrong, I'm organised and I can pull it back together. It's a live event. Anything happens. My mic broke. I checked it hundred times it broke in the ring so I knew the timekeeper always has a spare so I could be calm walk over to the timekeeper grab his mic and steal it and use it to carry on with what I was saying so if you're not organized little things like that will trip you up and f- perhaps you might get flustered or I would yeah.
0: So is most of the support that happens prior to the event is there but by the time you get there by the time you are voicing and announcing and doing your stuff are you do you need any sort of ongoing support during the evening
1: uh from the team around me yes because i find it's very much a team effort i i think of the boxing guys as a bit of a boxing family it i have to highlight that it's all men there aren't any women involved in what i do Sitting ringside, I'm in a row of men on the front seats. So it's all the judges, all the referees, um, all the officials, uh, even the paramedics are, are mayor and the doctors are men. Um, and I make sure I always get there in time to talk to them all before. They all know exactly who I am. Um, and I work at, I've work i been working at York Hall for many years now and, I see, and it's the same faces going round. And what I will say is they're all very welcoming and offer me every kind of support I could hope for. And if something's happened in a, in a fight that I'm not clear about, I will ask them and they'll explain it to me. And especially when I was, when I was newer and I was getting involved, um, they'd take time out to, to explain what was going on. So
0: where do you see your role sitting as a sports voice?
1: So, well, I definitely see myself as a storyteller. The boxer comes out, I mean, they're getting in the ring and putting their lives at risk, if you ask me. So I see myself, each and every boxer, the least I can do is get his statistics right, get his short collar right, get his name announced right, where he's from correct, and I'll tell a story about the boxer when he comes in. So there's one, obviously, from the blue corner and one for the red corner, and I tell that story. And then after the fight, especially if it's been a good fight, I'll get the crowd to put their hands together and give both boxers a round of applause, regardless of who's won. You know, if they've both put in a 100% effort and it was really, really exciting and the crowd are going wild. So I feel I'm telling a story for each boxer, for each bout that they, they have um, and for the evening. And then, so that's one side. And then the other side is advertising, obviously, for all the, or the um, sponsorship, but also controlling, uh, all, almost a controller controlling the crowd to a certain extent if you can control a crowd, um when they're being out of line or doing something they shouldn't be doing which can happen
0: but also presumably connecting with the audience as well I mean you need to be the right kind of person for the audience to actually respond to
1: yes and I love it when I get out of the ring and people come up to me going oh I love your jacket oh you did a great job so lovely to see a, a woman in the ring um, I say the jacket because I've got a logo on the back, a special sort of MC logo that I designed. Um, and it's really, I really, really love the crowd coming and talking to me afterwards um, and giving me some feedback and, and and liking what I do. I think that's very important for me.
0: So working live, it's not so very different if you were working live in the room or working live, you know, as a voiceover, commentating in a, in a booth you've still got to cope with the fact that there's a kind of noise that you've got to get over and a drama that you've got to pretty much get above and go with do you think that's um do you think that's a very particular kind of skill
1: yeah i think i don't think that you can suddenly start shouting to get over the noise of the crowd when i was um doing a fight for Brad Pauls he had a huge amount of supporters with him and the noise was incredible but that creates such an amazing buzz and such a brilliant atmosphere I really enjoy it but you just know there's no point talking even with a microphone you've got no chance (laughs) no chance to, to be heard so you just wait and wait till it dies down a bit really but I, I love it when, when the vibe and everyone's really excited about a particular fight or it's an English title fight or a world title fight and the crowd are going mad. It's just I don't compete with it. But if it's televised I did a fight up in Scotland and it was televised, then you have to carry on regardless. But they've got all the technology to, to quieten the crowd with, you know, from a technical point of view. So the sound director will be quieting the crowd and go picking up your mic, yeah
0: yeah, you've still got to match the drama, haven't you? So I think it's quite you've got to be really responsive as a voice.
1: Yeah, I think the drama is a really important part of the show. Um, If you look at someone like Michael Buffer, he creates an incredible persona and adds to the drama that people love him. and now they'll bring him on for a football match because it's all about Michael Buffer, which is fantastic. and he's created that. Um, drama is a big plays a big part in sport. Even in the football, I was talking to a massive football fan and they didn't want to go to any of the football matches in covid because nobody was there and the stadium wasn't really full so there was no incentive to go and follow their team which they've always followed so yeah drama atmosphere creates these live events
0: you've you've talked a lot actually about the fact that it's a pretty male dominated sport but I know you've actually been you've actually been an MC for quite a few female boxing bounce haven't you
1: yes yes I have done it Hannah Rankin I did her world title fight up in Scotland yes I do announce women more and more are coming on the scene the promoter that I've worked for well one of the promoters I work for has started adding female boxers to his stable of fighters and the increase in just the last four years has been massive it's been huge so hopefully there'll be a lot more women out there that I'll be announcing but um, it's becoming more and more popular Do you see
0: yourself as quite pioneering?
1: Yes, it's a role I fell into. It's not something I thought about when I started on this journey at all. But finding that I am the only woman, um, I couldn't just do sort of one show and go home. I really had to make a stand and really had to get involved and do something for women and hopefully encourage other women to do it. I think the vacancy was there because people don't think about it. I don't think it was a conscious we'll just have men. I don't think there's been a woman before who thought that's what I want to go and do. But I get on really well with a, British Boxing Board of Control, I've got involved with everything everybody's doing. They all respect my work because they said, well, if you were no good, you wouldn't be asked to do it. doesn't matter what gender you are or anything else. It's whether or not you're good enough. Yeah.
0: And actually, the whole conversation that everybody's having now across the board about diversity and using different kinds of people, because you've got a very diverse crowd of people a very diverse audience in terms of sports to actually appeal to you and do you think having that sort of diversity of presenters and voices really helps that connection with the audience?
1: Uh, Yes I think it does I mean Sky Sports um, only a few years ago brought on Anna Woolhouse to do the presenting so there there was a female there and I think that helps bring more women. A lot of women, if I look at the crowd, there are a lot of females that watch the sport. So it's great to get more women involved with the sport because they're the ones who, who are watching.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and across the board, with, with, with all sports, I'm hearing a lot more diversity in terms of voice, um, which is great because that's sort of reflecting back the audience that's watching, which is fantastic.
1: Absolutely, in different cultures and different backgrounds. And you've got um, Natasha Jonas has now just started on Skyboxing as well. She was the first female at, uh, who boxed in the Olympics for, for our country. Um, and that brings a different diversity again. Um, and actually talking about the Olympics this year, I was quite surprised, but it might be, and you'll know this because you're BBC, maybe because the Olympics are on the BBC, but they haven't picked her up to be one of the commentators for the boxing. They've chosen Nicola Adams, who doesn't have any experience in that or, or on, the, on the Sky boxing world. Um, oh, that's interesting. But maybe, maybe it's a Sky and BBC thing, but I'm surprised she wasn't chosen or, 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 or Anna Woolhouse just to get, because it's all men again. (laughs) (laughs) And are you
0: looking forward to the Olympics?
1: Uh, Yes, I'm super excited about the Olympics. I'm looking forward to the surfing, because for the first time ever, surfing is going to be on the Olympics. Although the UK hasn't got anyone, but, you know, it'll still be really exciting. Um, And the skateboarding, if we're talking about diversity... Sky Brown is representing the country at 13 years old. She's only just 13. Oh wow! And I think that's amazing. And skateboarding is another sort of male-dominated sport. But over the last few years, sorry, I'm a bit of a sort of skater surfer background, <laughs> um, as you as you know, but your listeners might not know. I'm sitting on a surf beach in Cornwall <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> in fact, after this, I suspect you're going to go off surfing. Yes, I might do in a minute. <laughs> um, but she's bringing females into into skateboarding and highlighting that a 13 year old girl can be as good as a male counterpart or a 20 year old or a 25 year old and do the most amazing tricks so there's a massive change in i think across the board and a lot of sports rugby football you know whatever that you know more women are getting involved diversity is is there as well yeah
0: and and actually in terms of your role presumably the fact that you are sporty across the board actually you like a lot of different sports presumably that is just hugely helpful in your work to to feel authentic
1: I think so I think if you're going to get involved with something you want to be interested in it and being quite sporty and quite fit yeah I think it really helps people take you seriously if you're doing if you're sporty yourself and you like keeping fit or going to the gym or anything else yes well, it probably gives you an understanding of what the boxers go through. If I do a punishing gym session, I think, well, that's just one little bit of what they they have to go through. Any professional sports person to achieve their goals. So, yeah.
0: Oh, well, thank you. I'll let you go now. And thank you so much, Verity, for, um, for coming on the podcast. That's so interesting. The way you work, the way you have to work with your directors and your promoters and live on the day. It's a fascinating insight.
1: My pleasure, Sam. Thank you very much for having me on your show today. <laughs>
0: now, go surfing. <laughs> Bye. Just brilliant. She is such a legend. So before I wrap up, I think it would be a really good idea to look at what we've covered. So if you are booking a live sports voice for an event, a TV or a radio show, or even a podcast, what do you need to think about? Because they're not necessarily your standard voiceover. So sports voices, particularly if they're voicing live, need a very particular skill set. They need to be knowledgeable and interested in either one particular sport or perhaps they're sports journalists who can adapt to many different events. Either way, they need to understand quite complex rules, scoring systems and the ins and outs of the sport so they can bring expertise and awareness to their performance. Why? Well, because if they're live, they need to be able to adapt in the moment and really know what they're talking about. Experience in live presenting, therefore, is important, and they need to understand not just the sport, but also their tech, who's who on the production team, and what to do if things go wrong. They're talking in the moment, so they need to be flexible, reactive, and have sound editorial judgment – They need to be able to understand the drama that's unfolding in front of them and be aware of their audience and what they might be thinking. And, appropriately, (laughs) they need to be excellent team players because you, as a director, need to be able to work really closely with your voice. So building relationships with them is a great idea. And they need to be calm, organised and have really good research skills and attention to detail and of course, more than anything else probably, they are the storyteller. They're relaying the beginning, the middle and the end of the drama, and the audience or the crowd want to be with them all the way. And right now, thinking about diversity is a really hot topic. Sport resonates with Everyone, it's such a varied audience and it can be such a powerful medium that, and I really, really believe this, there is a responsibility to be thinking about how we can reflect all our audience with the voices we choose. And on that exciting note, let's call this an episode. (laughs) After all, there are games to be played and races to be won and we don't want to miss them. I really hope that you enjoyed this episode and that it was really useful as well. All Verity's details are in the show notes. So until next time, I'm Samantha Boffin, and this was Talking Creative. Do connect with me on LinkedIn for more voiceover chat. I'm very easy to find. Just search for Samantha Boffin. Thank you for listening. Bye. Thanks for listening to Talking Creative, the art of voiceover directing. If you enjoyed it, do leave a review on Apple Podcasts or share the episode on social media so other people like you can get the best out of their voice actors. And don't forget, you can head over to talkingcreative.co.uk for the whole series.